Hello, and welcome to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey. This is episode three of Standing with Turtle. Today we're going to talk about working with the foster care system, drugs, seizures, and any other potential side effects we had to worry about. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review and share this story with any of your friends who you think might find it engaging. Also check out our website at jasonmpalmer.com for the blog and any podcast news we have. It's time to strap in and get ready, because here we go. Now, whenever you have a kid come into care, they have some protocols where they have to have, you know, they, they're supposed to come and, and see the house and make sure the kid's doing okay, check on the care, kind of a welfare check. There's a... Uh, doctor's uh, appointment. Yep. You have to make a doctor's appointment to have a, a physical within the first 24 hours. So we ran around and got that done. And pretty quickly after that, we had our first court appearance down in that county. So again, it was another almost two hour drive down there and back for the court. And that was kind of the constant through his entire time in foster care because it, he was picked up in that county and that's the county that had his case. So it was incumbent upon us to take him to court. So we had to make that trip on a regular basis. But I will say that the judge down there was pretty understanding about that. I, I'll give I'll give her credit. I think it was Judge Martinez, if I remember right. Yeah. She was she was pretty decent about that. Although on our on our first court appearance down there, you know, she was understandably apprehensive about. Oh, very much so. She she did not know exactly the family dynamic and the situation. She didn't at first. She did not want to leave G with us. And, and that's understandable too, because. You know, you don't know family dynamics. You don't know if, if this brother and and sister or cousins or whoever, you don't know if these people get along well. You don't know if they're going to promise to do one thing and not. And so... Well, and there were some real serious safety concerns with the drugs and the gang affiliation and everything like that. She needed reassurance that we were going to do whatever it took to keep this baby safe. And that's one of the things that I've always been impressed with with some of the judges that we've dealt with is that the judges tend to really actually give a damn as to whether or not a kid is in a safe place regardless of what the adults want. You know, they're they're willing to put aside the bias towards what an adult wants and really focus on what's important for the kid. And, and I, I would say Judge Martinus was really good about that. I, I appreciated that about her. And on our first court appearance, we went down there, and one of the things I stood up and said, you know, Your Honor, I think this baby needs a drug test. You know, I'm certain we've had him when he was high before, and, you know, we need to know what's in a system. And so, being as young as he was, they couldn't do a urinalysis, and so he had a big head of hair for a, a one-year-old. I don't think his hair had ever been cut at that point. So he had plenty of hair there. So we took him down to the lab and had a uh, had a hair follicle test done. We, you know, they just cut off the hair and they test the, the last six months or no. Yeah, I think it's the last three or six months worth of hair growth they test. And so, and, and the, the lab tech, when we got there, said, I have never done a hair follicle on somebody this small before. And I'm like, well, yeah, but he's got a lot of hair, so you should be good. He's like, oh, yeah. So he pulled the hair follicle and... 
even we were kind of surprised when those tests came back. Yeah, very surprised. For the pot, I was certain that was going to come back positive. When they told us about about picking him up, the worker who, who actually went to the home and removed him from the place he was staying that particular day told us that when she picked him up, you know, your typical one-year-old, you can kind of throw them on your side, put an arm under their, their, they their butt their and around their back. They can and hold their yeah, head. They'll, they'll sit up just fine. And she said he had zero muscle control. He was flopped backwards with his head and his arms just flopping because he was that high from the, the contact buzz in the room. Yeah, no control whatsoever. Could not even sit up. He was so stoned. Yeah, they, they had basically smoked the room out and had the baby sitting in the room while they did it. And he had him so stoned, he had no muscle control left. And, you know, so we expected for sure. For yeah, their... we, we knew that was going to come back positive. But I, I was not, I was not expecting the other results. Yeah, because what was it? I know that he was positive. Now, mind you, this, this was at one year old that he took this test. And a hair follicle goes back six months so, in your yeah. system. So, so they, they, they take the, just a certain length of hair and they test the last six months. So between being six and 12 months of age is where he, he was exposed to all these drugs. He came back positive for weed, cocaine, heroin, meth, and maybe oxys? Opioids, yes. Okay. So yeah, he, he came back positive for all that. And that was exposure between six months and 12 months old. I mean, what in the hell? And the only the only thing we could ever really come up with is if she was getting him high to keep him compliant. I mean, keep him quiet. Or I could see I could see the, the pot, you know, catching catching a, a buzz from a, you know, what are they a contact buzz. Yeah, I could see him catching a contact buzz from the pot from being around it. You know, I could maybe even see, you know, one-year-olds get their hands in everything, and they always put their hands in their mouth. I could see them getting their hands in some cocaine and getting coke in their system that way. But the opioids, the heroin, I don't know how that gets in your system unless somebody puts it there. Not at one years old. Yeah, not at one. So we were really blown away by the fact that that was even a thing. I mean, my God. I've never met a one-year-old who had that much experience with controlled substances. It was, it was crazy. It, at, at the moment, it was indescribable. So when we went back to court, I think everybody in the room was just kind of blown away by the results. I mean, we all expected to see pot and, you know, maybe something else show up in there, but just that list was something that everybody kind of stepped back and went, holy cow, that's insane. So the judge looked at that and said, yeah, there's a real danger here to this kid. So she decided to put a no contact order on us, which meant basically we were not able to call Ange. Ange wasn't allowed to call us. There was no physical contact. No phone contact, nothing. She she was to not have any contact at all because it, it was considered a pretty severe case at this point. Part of the reason that was so difficult was because as we were going through this, another piece that we'll talk about at another time, I'm certain, our oldest daughter, who 
isn't really our daughter, but yeah, I'll save all that for later. She grew up in our house for a number of years. She called my wife and I mommy and daddy, and she had at that point shown some signs of a disease that they couldn't figure out after a pretty intense stay in the hospital, some chemically induced coma, and a lot of uh, doctors. Eventually, one team flew out from John Hopkins University and diagnosed her with a rare disorder called hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, HLH for short. It's not a good diagnosis. And so during that whole time, we were going through this stuff while she was in the hospital fighting for her life. So to talk about putting stress on top of stress, we're trying to protect this little boy from such a dangerous place and watching a little girl that called us mommy and daddy dying in the hospital. And after about a nine month long fight, Arissa lost her battle with HLH. Now, if you remember at the beginning of this story, Amanda's half-sister was a half-sister of Angie's. Well, that half-sister in the middle was Arissa. That's, that's the little girl that we raised because she was only a year and a half older than our older son. So she fit right in with the family. When she passed away, we went to her funeral. And Ange was Arissa's half-sister as well, so she was going to show up there as well. So we had a no-contact order, but Ange had the right to go to the funeral of her sister, and we're all sure going to be there. So that made for a whole extra level of difficulty to be able to work our way through a funeral where we were in such grief and such pain and allow Ange an opportunity to say goodbye to her sister while we were protecting the baby and keeping him separate from Ange. That was a crazy time. So while Arissa was in the hospital, in the ICU department and in an isolation chamber for a while because she had to have a bone marrow transplant done, which involves complete sterilization of her immune system, and uh, it's a pretty intense pretty intense uh, chemotherapy type and radiation regimen that keeps her from having an immune system. So very few people are allowed in the room, especially not kids, because they're little germ factories. They're cute, but they're germ factories. So they don't want them around people who can't, who don't have an immune system that will protect them from those germs. So we had to really work at balancing those visits because I was still working. I had to, we were a one income family. I was still working. You were still working. We had all the kids. Yep. We had G. We had Arissa sick. And then we took another placement because we're crazy. Oh, yeah. Of a little boy who was withdrawing. Yep. There was Twitch. <laughs> yeah. Twitch's story will come at a later date. We had all these balls up in the air. We had a lot of balls in the air at that point, trying to, trying to manage all these different pieces and parts, you know. It was just a real challenge to get through it and for Amanda to be able to go back and forth from the hospital every day, take care of all these kids, not take G to the hospital because, well, he couldn't be in there a lot of times. So we ended up getting him into daycare for a while. And that was an, a whole eye-opening experience in and of itself. Not the first kid we've ever had who went to daycare, but because G came out of such a... Uh, such a place of mistrust and because G came from a place that had so much danger, so little security, and had no ability to trust most humans, when we would take him to daycare, the workers told us that he would, he, he would get there in the morning, 
he would get a small collection of toys and then walk off and find his little corner and he would sit there all day and play by himself. Until I came back, he, he would get himself set up for the day. He would come over and have lunch, but as, as soon as meals were over, he would go back to his spot. And stay away from all the other kids. So not only did he not trust men or adults in general, he didn't even have it in him to trust kids his own age, which yeah. is crazy for a kid who at that point was probably getting close to two. We went to daycare very shortly after he came. So. So, okay. Between a year and two years old. So at that age, he didn't have any real trust of adults or children. He trusted no one. And we were we were really worried about how these drugs could have could have affected him because he did not interact he didn't want to interact he didn't want to play he didn't show a whole lot of emotion except for anger yeah I a, saw lot, that a, lot. A, a lot of anger you know a lot of anger and screaming and crying and so we were worried about the effects that all these drugs could have had on his brain yeah the drugs were a big thing and you know, while he was in care, in order for Ange to have visits with her son, the judge said she had to have three clean tests within a week. And she had she had public transit where she lived. She At the time, she had the ability to get there, and the court was providing the drug test, so it wasn't a matter of money. They made sure... She was also staying with her grandmother at that point, too. She, she had steady rides. Yeah. She had the ability to get there if she wanted to, um, but... They would call... Tell her she needed to go take her drug test. She would have so many hours to go and get that accomplished. And if she didn't go, it was an automatic fail. Well, yeah. And that's the way most drug tests work, as I understand it. If you don't take it, it's considered a fail for a reason. If you don't show it, it's an automatic, you failed. She had no reason not to be able to show up. She wasn't working anywhere at the time. She was living with her grandma. She had the ability to get to to a testing facility and the court was pretty decent about making certain that she had the ability to do that because at the end of the day they want their their primary first objective is reunification get kids and moms together and have moms raise kids because that's the best thing for them is well to, and the courts were even paying for the drug tests some yes. parents have to pay for that yeah but the was, court was covering her cost just to try to get her to go so that she could have visits with her son. And that's what she, all she had to do was pull off three inside of one week. And um, she never did manage to do that. Um, of all the, uh, on the the whole two years or so that G was in care in state custody, she never was once able to pull off three clean drug tests in a row. And I mean, I understand it if you can't do it this week, but next week and the week after that, and for 104 weeks, for two years, I don't know. I, I was... I mean, I, I guess I wasn't really surprised, but it was disheartening to see that, that she couldn't keep herself straight long enough to at least get a visit with him. But she never did. And as a matter of fact, she got locked up again for something. I, I forget what for at that time. We had. A, it was another identity theft. Had to do something with a gas station and stealing someone's debit card. And Okay, that sounds about right. I don't really remember, but... So, so we get back into court, and w- she had uh, had an appearance to make one day. I think she was in uh, St. Louis County Jail at the time, 
and it was easier for them instead of transporting her down to where we were at because you know for us it was about an hour and 45 minute drive south it was probably about the same distance from st louis county where they had her locked up at so they brought her in with kind of like a, a skype type of a setup i guess you'd call it it was like a tv screen and like a video conference i guess you would say and you know the, the judge was pretty good about always making sure that that she was aware of what was going on and what she had to do to get her stuff straight so that she could play that role as a mom you know that's as much as I'm not always, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, we didn't really like hope that she would go back there. We, we had grown to love this little guy and we knew that he had been in so much danger, but there was another piece of me that knew that the best thing for him would be for his mom to straighten up and take care of him the way that a mom should. I wasn't really surprised that she didn't necessarily because addiction is such a monster. It takes over so much of your life, but it was sad to see. It was sad to see any kid lose that biological connection with her mom, but she just wasn't in a safe place or a place where she could take care of him. It was tough to watch. So going through that first time, that first year or so in, in foster care, you know, that, that was a lot of trouble. You know, he was, G was coming off of a lot of withdrawals as well, because I mean, I can't tell you how much of what drugs he had. I know that we had that long list of, of things that he had been given, you know, they had found the, the weed, coke, heroin, meth, and oxys, or no, opioids, I, I don't know. Whatever it was, it was it was a healthy list. And for a kid that age to come off of those drugs, you know, to just straight up detox from a full-blown drug-addicted lifestyle, I mean, he was one, but he was still getting that constant fix, if you will. To have to go straight cold turkey to come off of it, that had to be hard on him. He didn't sleep at night. He didn't mood swings like crazy. We were really concerned about the effects that drugs had on his brain because we really didn't know what it would be. Yeah, we just we had no clue as to how it was affecting him exactly because we didn't know how long or how much, how often these drugs were introduced to him. All we knew is that they were. And so we had to just deal with with it at in the moment as it was happening and we had you know his lack of interaction with people and then one evening I, I've left children's hospital I've left our daughter I've picked up our other children and we're grocery shopping we we leave we're heading home so I can tr try to spend some family time because I hadn't been home in probably three or four days so I'm coming home, I'm going to cook dinner for the kids. I've got all the kids in the car and we're flying down the highway and one of our children says, Mommy, Mommy, what baby, what, what you need? The baby's shaking really bad, Mommy, the baby's shaking. And I look in, in my rear view mirror and, and here's G in his car seat in a full-blown seizure as I'm flying down the highway. Thanks for listening to episode three of Standing with Turtle on foster care, an unparalleled journey. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating and review if you haven't done it already, and share this with your friends. Also check out our website, jasonmpalmer.com, for the blog and any podcast news we have. We'll see you next week for episode four.
Here's a quick sneak preview of what you will hear next week on episode four. Yeah, was it something that was contagious? Because here we had another child, our other daughter is in children's in isolation, and I just spent the day with her. You know, have I put her in contact with something that was contagious? My head was all over the place. As always, if you suspect any child of being abused or neglected, contact your local law enforcement or the child abuse hotline at 1-800-4-A-CHILD. That's 1-800-4-A-CHILD. the number four, A-CHILD. Thank you.